When Ruby Mendenhall was an occupational therapist at Chicago's Cook County Hospital, she treated lots of babies who were underweight or developmentally delayed. After talking to the moms, she realized many of them couldn't afford enough formula, so they watered it down, stunting their baby's growth. That discovery led her to a career in public policy and eventually to the University of Illinois. Professor Mendenhall has studied the impact of segregation on black economic conditions. She has lived among families plagued by violence in Chicago's Robert Taylor homes. And she's worked with U of I computer scientists and genomic experts and citizen scientists to measure the physical toll that stress and violence have on black women in Chicago's Englewood neighborhood. Her next project, landing a $100 million MacArthur grant to support black mental health nationwide. We'll be back after this. Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at newsgazette.com every day of the week. From Dave Gentry's Morning Show to Scott Beatty's News Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, newsgazette.com, and search for podcasts. I'm Julie Wirth, and this is another edition of Campus Conversation. My guest today is Ruby Mendenhall, a professor of sociology and African-American studies, who's also assistant dean for diversity and democratization of health innovation for the Carl Illinois College of Medicine. Thanks for being here today. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, I can't tell you how many times... I've interviewed someone and they say, you know, you really should talk to Ruby Mendenhall about this. So I'm glad to have you in the yes. studio. Um, you have done some fascinating research um, about health disparities for black women, focusing on stress and violence and the effects on women in uh, Chicago neighborhoods. I want to get to that in your current job. But tell us about your past life and before you were a professor and what led you to this kind of research. Sure. Um, it's a very interesting story. So my undergrad degree is in occupational therapy and I worked at Cook County or then Cook County Hospital in Chicago. And I was also on the protective service team. And a lot of children were coming in failing to thrive so they weren't gaining weight like they should for their age. And so as a protective service team, we would often look at the mothers and in a I guess in a nice way, say, what's wrong, right? Are you not a good mother? Do we need to take the child? And then I would hear the mother say, you know, the child isn't gaining weight because I can't afford formula, so I'm watering the formula down. Mm -hmm. And then after hearing the story over and over, and it was mostly black and brown moms, and I was like, okay, this isn't an issue with the mother. If she's a good mother or not, this is an issue about society, right? Are we giving mothers enough money to feed their children? So I became interested in public policy, and I went to the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. And so after I graduated, um, I went to um, work at the Ounce of Prevention Fund in Chicago, and I worked for their kids, um, education and kids Education and Policy Project. And while there, the Early Head Start program um, came around, and we wrote a grant. And so I said, you know what? I want to work there in Robert Taylor. And I remember um, people saying, who leaves downtown and um, goes to work in Robert Taylor? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> and what I was trying to do when I was working as a um, lobbyist, right, doing policy, thinking about uh, or working with legislators around welfare reform, around child care issues. It was mostly white males, and um, they were dedicated to helping families. But I remember thinking, like, wow, when was the last time they talked to a mom to see what they really needed? And at the time, I wasn't a mom, right, so I was a black female, so I had that experience, but there was still distance in terms of class. So I said, well, Ruby, when was the last time you talked to a mom to see what they needed? So when I went to Robert Taylor, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to understand the lived experience of not having enough money to take care of your children and how can policy be changed around that. So I went to work 
and Robert Taylor. And um, it was quite an experience with the level of gun violence, the level of poverty. It was really um, heartbreaking. And even um, and I didn't realize this till later. So I remember when I would go there, um, sometimes they would have gang wars and it would be shots, just like a lot of violence. Although there were wonderful things happening in Robert Taylor, too. I don't want to just paint it. That's one thing. But I remember like my body would be so tense. And then when I would get home, like I could just feel like my body's just um, relaxing. So I think part of that is also kind of informing what I'm doing now. And so um, was in Robert Taylor. There was one incident that I talk about a lot. Um, There was a gang war. And when they have them, they often shut down the building so nobody could come in or go out. And I called one of the mother's um, employers and I said, you know, she can't come to work today. There's a gang war. He was like, a gang war? No, he was like, a war? What do you mean? Who's at war? And I was like, and, you know, she can't come outside so she can't come to work. Well, why can't she turn the doorknob? Like, what do you mean? And I just remember sitting there like... These are two different worlds, two different lived experiences. And he couldn't um, understand. Could not grasp it. And I don't even know, like, if I wasn't in the midst of it, like, if I could grasp it, too, the idea that you can't just walk out of your building. It could be a morning when you just cannot walk out of your building due to gang wars. And so um, that experience led me to go back and get a Ph.D., and human development and social policy from Northwestern. And I guess I was merging the two, the... um, infant development, child development um, as an occupational therapist, and then also the policy perspective. And so um, I came to Champaign in like 2006. And so even as I was here, I'm from Chicago. And so I started hearing um, friends and family talk about the violence in Chicago. And young people were getting killed and um, young people were involved in some ways. And I remember thinking like, Wow. Um, you know, I knew about it in Robert Taylor and I kind of thought since they tore those down that the violence kind of decreased. So it was quite surprising to hear um, just what was happening. So we did focus groups and we went and talked to our mothers, fathers and children. And we were like, um, is violence an issue here? And just the stories that I heard. I was like, wow. And it made me sad in a lot of ways. Right. Because I saw it up close in uh, Robert Taylor and then just to kind of hear it. Again, and even um, I remember thinking like, wow, I'm glad I'm not raising my kids in Chicago. But then my next um, comment and, or thought in my head was, what, what about the mothers who are? Like, how do you um, raise your children um, and have that fear that they may not be around or have that fear that they may see someone shot? And so um, that's when I kind of shifted my research from looking at um, the effects of black segregated neighborhoods on economic outcomes and thinking about how does the violence affects black mothers and their um, mental and physical health. So that led to your work in Englewood, right? Yes. In Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you worked with computer programmers to have these women. I, I think you did other research first, mm-hmm. but eventually yes. had them design wearable heart monitors so you could get real time data on what their stress levels were, right? Yes, yes. So we had a fellowship from NCS, um, National Centers for Supercomputing Applications, and we had a fellowship to um, have the mothers wear sensors, Um, so Empatica 4 and then also Fitbits for 30 days. And we were trying to see when they hear the sound of gunshots or when other stress happens, um, what does it look like in their bodies in terms of physiology, in terms of their heart rate, in terms of sleeping and other things like that. And so um, we collected um, quite a few data. So we had the mothers wear the sensors and we was like, please, whatever you do, like keep them more 24 hours, but don't take them in the shower. Right. (laughs) And so we talk about them as citizen scientists because they really 
worked with us to collect the sensor data. Um, we also asked them to wear uh, or to fill in diaries, um, either online or hard copies, because we wanted to try to triangulate when we saw like a spike in heart rate or some disturbed sleep, if it was associated possibly with gunshots or if something else was happening. And then we also looked at 911 data um, in terms of calls about um, people reporting hearing gunshots or um, people being shot. We looked at police records. Um, we had um, computer science students working with us. They took the data and they created a, a virtual reality experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was really interesting. We did an exhibit and Inglewood because we wanted to, as much as possible, try to bring this complicated um, kind of multifaceted data to the community so they can kind of understand. And even we created crime reports. So we took, um, we also knew where they were, right, with the GPS. We took where they were during the day and also the gun or, or violence in general that was happening. And we kind of mapped it and created crime exposure reports. And so part of that was to give people agency and hopefully to talk to legislators and others and to say, um, so this is what my crime exposure looks like. So how can we work together to change it so that the levels aren't so high? So that's kind of ideally in terms of um, prototype and proof of concept, what we were trying to do with that. And what did the what did it show you? What did the data show you in terms yes. of these women and stress? Yeah, so um, one thing, um, the mothers talked a lot about um, having trouble sleeping. And so one reason was that um, they said with the stress, like it's hard to kind of calm their minds down and then to go to sleep at night. And um, and then also in terms of um, just the, the heart rate. So that's something that we're actually trying to um, look at now to see in terms of um, increased heart rate and how that's related to sleep and then also exposure to different things. So so we're still in the midst of analyzing the data. Well, and that would all have an impact on long-term health as well, right? Yes. Not just in the moment. Yes, yes. That's what the research is definitely showing, that it affects long-term health. On, you also worked with Jean Robinson mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. Institute for Genomic Biology to study how stress affects health and the human genome, was it as part of that project as well? Yes, yeah, so it was the earlier part of the project, um, the South Chicago Black Mothers Resiliency Project. And um, the study with Jean was when, after we did the focus groups, we then um, did interviews. And even as funny, as part of the focus groups, we asked the moms, um, so if we came and we asked you for blood, like, would you give us some? <laughs> and the reason we did it, right, was because of the abuses around um medicine, the abuse around genetics, and but we were clear, we said we're not looking um, at genetics, we're looking at how the immune system responds to the environment that you're in. And um, so they gave us some ideas about how to approach it, and when we went, like all of the mothers were really interested in it, except there was one um, mother who didn't feel comfortable, um, and although we had like a trained phlebotomist and a nurse, um, she still, still didn't feel comfortable with the procedure, but um, almost like a hundred other mothers, they were on board, so um, and there's that some was, distrust in the black community about medicine in general and yes, healthcare. Lots, of lots of it yeah. because of the um, exploitation, past and current, right? So um, it was a big deal, and I think part of what made them feel comfortable is the way we explained it, and we talked about the history, right? We talked about we know that there have been um, studies from Tuskegee to other experiments where um, African Americans were exploited, right? We're not told the truth. And um, we recognize that, but we're hoping that, right, this is not one of those experiences. And 
Um, in fact, we want you to be very active in it. And what we're trying to find out is um, how living in neighborhoods with high levels of gun violence affects your health. And so when we talked about it like that, they were very interested and they wanted to know the answer to the question. And many of them um, talked about having headaches and backaches and stomach aches and um, their hair was falling out and um, right. lack of sexual desire, like all of these things associated with stress. And I think even during that point, I really became interested in this idea of citizen science, right, where they work with you side by side to kind of um, look at the discoveries to help you analyze your data because they are closest to it, right? They know the, I mean, not that they're closest to it, right? They are um, giving the information that as scientists we seek. So when we did the exhibit, um, there was a mother, um, she was pregnant. Her, the father of her child was killed by gun violence. And so she immediately went into labor and the doctors were able to delay the labor, I think for like six or eight days. But during that time, she stopped eating. She went into this depression, um, just very um, disturbed. She had the baby, then she had seizures and just had a lot of other complications. And so she talked about, um, and again, this is during the exhibit where we had the mothers um, be in front, right? We were in the back and I love that, right? Because I always talk about they know their experience better than I could ever say it. And so she talked about that whole experience and she ended with saying, you know, stress can kill you. And so afterwards, I said, wow, you know, that was um, great how you told your story and the work on the project. And I said, so what does it feel like to be a citizen scientist? And she's like, well, I don't see myself as that. And I was like, oh, wow. And I said, you know, you helped us collect the data. You wrote in your um, journal. You kept the sensors. You did all. You helped us um, develop the exhibit, right, because we came back with certain things. So I was like, no, what does that mean? And so, you know, you have to go back to the drawing board. And she's like, no, I, I see myself as the data. And then I was like, oh, they experience it. They know what's happening to their bodies. Often they may not be able to make the link between stress and the HPA axis and all of this. But um, but that's where we want to work together. Right. And then to think about um, even if you can't avoid the stressful situations, what do we know from the science? How can you buffer that? And so that's kind of what we're trying to do now, think in terms of mindfulness in terms of things that they already do as black women rights, black culture, our history. We've had to come up with um, different ways to maintain our sanity in the midst of oppression, marginalization, all of this. So um, really trying to think about how we harness that and work together both as um, people affected and as scientists and try to, um, again, as we said, the College of Medicine, um, drive innovations and drive new discoveries around health and wellness. Well, let's talk a little bit about that as mm -hmm. well. Um, so, you know, your title's interesting. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is a very technology-driven college yeah. of medicine. Yeah, but yeah. your role is to kind of keep the human side yes. right at the forefront. Yes. So tell yes. us exactly what that means. Yeah. So we talk a lot at the College of Medicine about um, how, in a lot of ways, it's at the intersection of two very elite spaces, engineering and medicine. And um, so part of my role in terms of diversity and democratizing health innovation is to make sure that um, the students are diverse, right, faculty and staff, that the College of Medicine has a 
um, diverse point of view, and then also that the humanities, the social sciences, and arts are incorporated. It's already one of the four um, pillars of the College of Medicine, so it's built in, in a sense. And then we recently received a grant from the Presidential Initiative to celebrate the arts and humanities. And so we're um, creating a medical humanity certificate that will be available for, or we're hoping, um, for undergraduates, for graduates, for medical students, but also people from the community, right? So again, this idea of um, whatever is happening at the College of Medicine to make sure that it's in the community and they know about it and can take advantage of the discoveries, and that's part of our land-grant mission here at Illinois, but then also to bring the community into the College of Medicine to work alongside the physicians and others to drive some of the discoveries around health and wellness. And um, we, we talk about it as um, giving the community unprecedented access, right, in ways that they may not be in traditional um, medical schools. And so one way that we try to do that is with the Health Maker Lab. Right. Um, and... Should I talk a little sure, bit about sure. that? Sure, I was going to ask you, how does this manifest okay. itself? Right? Yes, yes. So um, the um, Health Maker Lab, we have a um, yearly competition. So last year it was in um, Champaign-Urbana, and we um, invited anyone in Champaign-Urbana, or in Champaign County, I think it was, with ideas around health and wellness. And it can be broadly defined if you're an artist and you want to create a mural to inspire hope and healing in a children's hospital. We love that. Um, if you're a biologist and you want to develop a, a cell to deliver medicine in a new way, we love that, right? If you're an architecture, architect and you want to create some new architecture around healing, all of it, broadly defined. Also, children can um, submit ideas. They just need their parents' approval. And so we had submissions, and I think it was like 140 of them last year, and about half of them were from the community. So we were really excited about that. We were in the soup kitchen. We were in barbershops. We were in churches, um, mosques. We were um, tried to be all over the place to let people know about this. And then we selected 20 semifinalists, and we had a dolphin tank, um, which is um, a, a version, version of the of shark right, tank. Right? Nicer version of um, shark tank where people pitch their ideas and then 10 of the winners were selected and they received $10,000 worth of resources to turn that idea into a prototype, um, a business, um, for-profit business, not-for-profit business, social program, um, it ranges. And so um, we've been working with them since then um, in terms of business development, I'm looking for patent searches in terms of ideas that may be similar, but then how can they um, tweak it or add to it? And so we, in November 1st, we just launched the second round, and this time it's across the state of Illinois. So please, whoever is listening <laughs> to this, right, in the state of Illinois, and even you can have collaborators from other places as long as the person submitting is, um, is a resident. Um, and then um, we will have the submissions are open till January the 6th. And then the um, Dolphin Tank again will be March 20, ooh, I think it's March 25th. Don't quote me, it's that Saturday. <laughs> I should we'll have say it March. Down. Okay, yeah, we'll <laughs> say March. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's one way um, that we try to do it. And we're thinking of um, other ways. I mean, it's it's really serious um, this idea of how do we bring the community in in unprecedented, um, unprecedented ways. We're really also thinking about pipeline, reaching out to um, minority-serving institutions. We're thinking about um, grammar school, high school, right, because, um, and, and why I say it's such an elite space, um, engineering and medicine, is that 
um, if you don't take classes many times in grammar school, even high school, right, it's hard to get on that path. Um, and we know for many students of color, right, that those paths are often um, blocked or um, they made to feel like that's not for you. And so we want to, as much as possible, try to um, tear down those barriers. How do you in ensure, I guess this is probably your role, you know, mm -hmm. the, the college talks a lot about technology and how mm -hmm. it can improve healthcare. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure generally, sort mm -hmm. of beyond these kinds of ideas, that, you know, that that human doctor-patient interaction is, mm -hmm. is maintained? Yes. So um, we talk about that a lot. Even with the um, presidential initiative in the proposal, we talked about um, high tech, but then also high touch. Right. So this idea that the technology is there to serve the physician so that he can or she. Right. Or um, non-binary can engage patients um um, more and even in um, better ways, right? So not to replace them. And so that's um, what we're trying to make as part of the culture to understand that um, the human touch, um, you that's critical in health and healing and um, trying to help students think about ways to do that across different groups. And so even we have a um, medical ethics and humanity course for students um, once a week on Fridays where we address issues around um, um, racism, frankly, right? Racism in medicine, um, other type of barriers that are there and how they should think about it and approach it as um, students, right, when they're in the clinic and then also as physicians. Okay. Um, you've worked with uh, scientists or scholars across campus, lots of different departments, and you have academic appointments in lots of different departments. Mm -hmm. Why do you like this approach? And what is sort of the ultimate goal of that? Yeah, I love that. So why do I like it? Um, I mean, you've worked with historians, I, artists, I know. computer scientists, I urban know. planners. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I think, see, if I have to say, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Part of me, I think, is just part of my personality. But I think even back to my days as an occupational therapist, even when we were um, in undergrad, we were trained to look at a problem and to think about answers from different perspectives. And so, and then when I went um, as an occupational therapist to Cook County Hospital, we worked in teams, right? So even the protective service team, it was um, physician, speech therapist, um, nurses, social works, right? So it was a team of us looking at an issue and saying, okay, how can we make this better? And then um, everyone bought a critical piece of information to the situation. And even when I went to grad school, I thought about um, interdisciplinary, right, the human development and social problems, um, social policy. And so I, I, I love working with different teams and groups, and I love that what you get in the end is much bigger than the individuals. And, I, and what I do love about being here um, on campus is that um, you really can have an idea and you can like, or, or even know someone or talk to someone like, you know what, I had an idea and I was thinking about doing this. And then this is what they do. And it's, I like to say they're genius, right? So they can give you a hundred ideas about how to do this well. So I love that um, that's available on campus. So I guess maybe it's my early training. Some of it is my personality, right? That I'm curious about 
um, different things and I read kind of broadly and see connections in ways that people may not see. But then also here, um, there's an ecosystem where you can do some of that. And, um, and even um, we're getting ready to um, launch a, a public engagement program that we hope can do some of that as well. And um, even um, having this idea of a community where we will have community members, but then also different disciplines coming together and working on issues and um, thinking about how can we um, foster what the community needs. And I'm really excited about that. So it'll almost, it'll almost be a collaboration in a way I've always dreamed about, but I haven't been able to do. So that Who, how is that going to be organized? Like what? So it's going to be um, through the chancellor's office and it's, um, it'll be called STEM Illinois. So oh. we'll, you'll hear more about that later. We're still kind of in the planning stages of it, but um, you'll hear more about that later. Okay. So what is your next project? I know you have a MacArthur grant application yes. in the works, right? Yes. So um, the MacArthur Foundation is giving one idea $100 million, um, and then it's called $100 million and change, and then um, there'll be some other groups that um, I think last year they gave like about Fourteen million, um, a couple of others, and so um, we put together a proposal to increase the mental wellness infrastructure in Black America, and so um, working with the Association of Black Psychologists, the um, Black Psychiatrists are on board, um, Greater Washington Urban League, um, just a host of um, organizations, the Steve Fund, and. Um, we are proposing to do a tour of 16 cities in the U.S. and maybe now some internationally based on feedback. But um, we started with six, 16 in the U.S. Some will be urban cities to kind of um, address issues that are happening there, rural areas such as um, the Delta, and then also U.S. Virgin Islands and then um, Puerto Rico. And part of that will be to um, take evidence-based um, programs around what helps in terms of mental wellness out into the community. So some of that will be mindfulness. It'll be um, emotional emancipation circles. Um, and the really exciting thing, again, is we propose to work with 100,000 citizen scientists, right? So um, blacks from all over the U.S. and um, I guess now internationally um, finding ways to kind of bring that knowledge together and also knowledge around what creates mental distress, but also what creates mental wellness, and then how can we spread that? And so um, that's one part of it. Um, I don't know if you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yes. Right, so I'm, I'm just a bill in different ways that <laughs> um, use music to um, convey information around grammar, around policy, all of that. So we want to do like a Black House Rock, and that'll be um, kind of black music, black culture, to talk about um, black mental wellness, ranging from um, what is bipolar depression, what is adverse childhood experiences, and um, and how might children manifest that, right? And so um, sometimes children manifest it in anger, and so it's not a time to um, punish, to criminalize, right, or to say um, this is who you are and um, this is bad, but to say what happened. Like, what do you need? And so really trying to get, get that out there. 
and then also to try to decrease stigma around mental health. Um, in the black community, there's a lot of stigma. I would say in U.S. culture in general. I think this it's is a, a general a, problem. Yeah, but it's a lot of stigma. Um, is there additional stigma in the black community, do you think? I think um, our experiences are different, right? So for black women, um, we talk a lot about this idea of the strong black woman, right? Like um, where you have to take... Um, things that happen with oppression, right, and ordinary stuff that people deal with. And sometimes you don't have that freedom to say, you know what, this is a lot. Like, I am tired. I need some help. And so even in my study, I asked mothers, um, so when they feel depressed, like, what are some ways that they try to let people know that they feel depressed? And so they'll say things like, um, I'm not on my game or I don't want I don't want to be bothered with anyone. And so, again, as part of um, what we hope with the Black House Rock and we call them toolkits is to create ways where people can kind of have a sense of when people may not be well. Right. When people may um, have too much, but they may not feel they have the freedom to say, I need help. So to notice those signs? Yes, to notice those signs. Yep, so um, a form of awareness, right? And um, so the 100,000 citizen scientists, we want to do the campaigns. And then also we want to bring together 100 black organizations So um, and say all hands on deck, right? Like this is an issue that really needs to be addressed. And so um, from uh, black journalists, we're talking to the NAACP. We're hoping that they'll join us. Um, we're talking to the Congressional Black Caucus. We're hoping that they'll be a part, the social workers, the nurses, physicians, all hands on deck to really think about how can we um, create a culture of wellness, especially in the U.S. Con well, again, internationally, we're thinking about that. But in the U.S. context, where um, 2019 is um, marks 400 years of racial trauma, right, since um, Africans came to Virginia. And so to recognize that and then to also build an infrastructure to support um, individuals who have those issues on top of um, everyday stress. Which, yes, are growing daily, as mm -hmm. we know. Yes. Do you, what are your chances, do you think, of this Ooh, grant? good question. So um, I think our chances are great. Um, I mean, seriously, I do. I think it's, um, when I talk to people, they are excited about it. Many of the groups, they've already have been working on things around this. So this is really, I see a chance for us to amplify what we're doing across the country. Um, I mean, yeah, so so I think our chances are great. And I will tell you this, um, we have been talking about, even if um, we are not funded, and I don't even like to say that, I don't even want to put that out there, but um, we are committed to doing this program no matter what. So um, I would say um, the chances are 100% that some aspect of this will um, take off. Okay. Yes. When will the decision be made? I don't know how the MacArthur Grant program yes. works. So um, they are now in what they call the Wise Head Reviews. It's from September to February um, 2020. And then in February, they'll let us know um, if we're invited to go to the next round of applicants who will submit the full proposal. And then in the spring, I think, is when they will identify I think like the smaller group but I do know like by the fall um, everyone will know all right so, yes. well good luck with that project thank and you thank, thank you, you so much for being here today it has been my pleasure thank you so much all right